But the series that we've stepped into that I've just called the, kind of titled The Miraculous was really born out of a conversation that I had with a guy sitting at a coffee shop. And, and this is sort of what happens to me a lot. A lot of what I end up teaching on are things that are kind of born out of my own life, born out of encounters that I have. And so I was sitting at this coffee shop and I was studying, this was about a month and a half ago, and I was kind of reading and studying for our James series, our Life Authentic series. And I was sitting there and, and I was studying, and I was reading, I kept noticing this guy for like 15 minutes really staring at me, okay? And I thought either he's, he's you know, something's bothering him or he's kind of checking me out or whatever. And so I wasn't real sure, but it was just kind of awkward and I could tell he was just kind of looking at me, but I felt like something was on his mind and so I just kind of let this thing play out a little bit. And about 15 minutes into this thing, he, he kind of gets up and he walks over to where I am, kind of like nonchalantly, just kind of, hey, you know, kind of what's going on. He kind of meanders over there and, and he kind of gets to where I am and he, and he looks down and he asks me what I'm reading. He says, well, what are you reading? And I kind of knew that he already knew I was reading my Bible, which is what made the whole thing kind of awkward in the first place. And, and so I wasn't really going to, uh, I was going to kind of make him tell me whatever he was thinking. So I said, well, I'm reading the Bible. And he goes, oh. And he just sort of stood there kind of looking at me. And I said, have, have you, you ever read the Bible? And he goes, well, I, I tried once, but I never really made it through the whole thing. And he said, have you read the whole thing? And I said, yeah, I've, I've read the whole thing a couple of times. And, and he goes, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, can I ask you a question? And I said, now I knew we were getting to where we were, we were getting. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, why not? And he goes, do you really believe, this was his question, do you really believe that Jesus did all the miracles that are written in the Bible? So without answering his question, I kind of looked at him and I said, I'm, I, I'm guessing that you don't. And he said, you know, I, I don't know, man. It just seems all so impossible. And I said, well, do you think that is what's keeping you from reading the Bible? And he said, no, but I think it's keeping me from believing the Bible. So we went on and talked for a little while, and I was kind of thinking about that conversation later on. And I was really thinking, you know, this, this guy's comment was not really as much a question about the Bible as it was about the very nature of God. And I think it's something that we've all wrestled with at some point or time, if we're really honest. Do I really believe that God did all those things? I believe that God made everything and parted the Red Sea and, and, and the virgin birth and that Jesus walked on water and that he healed people and that he cast out demons and that, that all these miracles happened and ultimately the resurrection. Do I really believe all that? And, and maybe even more so, do I believe that God can still do the miraculous in my life? Or do I believe just those things may have happened or they happened for other people? And, and I think a lot of that for us surrounds what we really believe about God. Do we believe that, a, that a, we believe in a God that still does the miraculous? And so really what's driving this series is this, this kind of the summer is looking at the miracle moments in the life of Jesus. And not trying to explain them scientifically and all that kind of stuff by going, really, you know, what happened here? But using them as a launching off place to say, Jesus, what were you doing? Or God, what were you doing and what does it mean to me? How can these things that you have done impact my life as we look at the miracle moments throughout Scripture and ask ourselves, God, what are you doing in me? And do I believe that you still can do things that defy explanation? Because my true belief is that we have a God that still moves stones, that still moves in magnificent, mysterious, amazing ways. And God wants to do something dramatic and amazing in your life. 
So this is our launching off place for this, this series. And, and so that's kind of what got us there. I won't share it every week. That way you don't have to hear it all the time. Plus it probably changes over the course of time anyway. You know, tell the story. It gets a little better. Next thing you know, the guy wanted, you know, he just wanted to hang out for a while. And then he gave me a bunch of money. And then, you know, whatever. So stories evolve, right? And so that's the story. That's how it happened. And that's it. So now we're done with it. But here's the deal is that we're going to be exploring these miracle moments and uh, looking at the life of Jesus. This week we're going to actually look at Today and next week, we're going to be looking at the exact same amazing day in, the li- in one of the days in the life of Jesus. It's an absolute remarkable day. We're going to look at the first part of the day this week, and then tomorrow, or, uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at the next part of the day as we kind of see all that's happening in the life of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open it up. If you've got one in front of you, go ahead and get there. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Um, we'll pray, and then I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a pretty big little setup to how we get to where we are in history, and then um, we'll kind of dive into that text together. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to actually be starting, how about verse 13. But before we do that, let's pray, and then I'll give you a little bit of uh, history, and then we'll kind of dive in it together. So let's pray. God, I thank you just for these moments to gather, these moments on a Sunday morning to gather together and open your word, and that the Christian life was really meant to be lived in community. It was meant to be lived in moments like this. The church gathered together to celebrate and study and learn and worship. And uh, Lord, the church has done that throughout history. And I'm so grateful that we have these moments and that we don't take them for granted. You know, we get an hour on a Sunday morning to spend together and open our word. And and God, it's such a powerful time to do this together. So Father, let's take seriously what we encounter this morning and ask you to move on our own hearts. Take a moment just in your own heart and And just ask God to move in you this morning, just something simple like that, and just pray that God would move in you, that he would stir you, that he would convict you, whatever it is, just God move in me. Just whisper that prayer for your own heart. And take a moment and just pray for someone beside you. Maybe you don't even know their name, maybe you've seen them here for the very first time, just whisper prayer for them. Just ask God to move in them this morning. As I say every week, be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. With you, Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, as you say, even the divide soul and spirit joints and marrow. Father, we pray that you would use it this morning to teach us, Father. Your word stands alone. It needs no teaching or explanation. And so, Father, I pray that as we read it, you would penetrate us with it. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and all that we're getting ready to learn about the nature of who you are. We ask this in your son's holy and perfect name. Amen. So we're in a really unique day in history. Um, as we look at Matthew chapter 14, there's a lot of amazing things that are going to unfold between now and And when we finish up next Sunday, looking at this just really one amazing day in the life of Christ. And Jesus had a lot of amazing days, right? Well, this is an amazing kind of remarkable series of events, these miraculous moments that are taking place in the life of Christ. But before we get there, let me tell you where we are, because there's a significant event that has kind of unfolded that is setting up what we're getting ready to look at this morning. And that is... John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, right, Um, Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, the one that was to prepare the way 
uh, for Christ. The whole role of John the Baptist was to go before Jesus and basically prepare the way. If you've read any part of the Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, you've come in contact with John the Baptist. He was, had his own group of disciples. They were baptizing. John the Baptist is the one that baptized Jesus, which is really how he got his name, John the Baptist. It wasn't that he was a Baptist. It was that that's how he got his name, right? He was baptizing people. And, uh, and, and he was baptizing them into the coming kingdom. And he was preparing the way for Jesus. And and he was the one that was to go before, as predicted from the Old Testament, the one that would go before John the Baptist, and he was Jesus' cousin, and they were close. And families back in those days were really close. Well, John the Baptist had been arrested, and he'd been arrested because, well, really, it's, it's a complicated soap opera type event that had taken place within a bunch of Roman rulers. The whole area was under Roman rule, and Herod had a bunch of sons, he had bunches of sons, but he had four that were kind of really in charge. He died and he left the whole area to these four sons and they divided it up. Well, the short story of a very long kind of drawn out thing is that one of these sons kind of fell in love with the wife of another of his brothers, all right, and convinced her to leave his brother and marry him. And, and Mosaic Law kind of talked about, hey, you can't marry your brother's wife, there's something in there about that. And so John the Baptist actually told this son of Herod's, hey, you can't take your brother's wife, and it infuriated both of them. And so they had it out to capture, to arrest, and then ultimately kill John the Baptist, these Roman leaders. They hated that because John the Baptist was a Jew, and they were occupying Jewish territory. And who are you to say this about what I can and can't do? And so in a long series of events, they arrest John the Baptist, and they literally have him put in prison in chains. Well, Crazy series of events unfold, and uh, one thing leads to another, and uh, one of these leaders ends up promising something to this wife's daughter, and he says, you know, what do you want? She says, I want you to behead John the Baptist, and I want you to put his head on a silver platter, and I want you to give it to me, and I'm going to give it to my mom. I mean, this is crazy soap opera type stuff, right? And he's, Herod, who kind of made a promise in front of a bunch of people, said, all right, I will uh, do that. So sure enough, he has John the Baptist beheaded. His head put on a platter and given to this girl, and she gives it to her mom, and they celebrate the death of John the Baptist in this sort of horrible, murderous, gruesome way, all right? Now, you've got to understand, these are crazy, powerful events. This is Jesus' cousin. These are John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. Um, this was a man of God, and he had been in prison, and he had been beheaded in this celebratory, awful way, all right? We're going to pick up in verse 14. Or verse 13, right as Jesus finds out this news. Okay, so Jesus is getting ready to hear that his cousin, all right, his friend, the one that prepared the way, the very one that baptized him in the River Jordan, was not only imprisoned, which he had heard about, but now was killed, beheaded, murdered. And this is where he finds this out. So let's look at verse 13 together as we read this text. When Jesus had heard what had happened, right, he had heard about John the Baptist, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they ate and they were all satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, you probably recognize this miracle, right? This is a pretty big miracle. It's a historic moment. It is one of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture. Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. So we're talking about 7,500, 8,000, maybe 10,000 people that have gathered. And Jesus feeds them all from this bread, five loaves, and two fish. Now we all are familiar with that miracle, all right? Well, I want to take a little bit different look at it this morning. And like I told you, these miracles are going to be jumping off places for us to really look at what the nature of God is all about. And what God is doing and what that means for me. And I want to take a little bit different picture of this this morning because I want to look at it from the perspective of people. Because beyond the mystery and sort of the amazing moment of feeding these thousands and thousands of thousands of people, I think there's something much more remarkable going on about how much Jesus truly loves people. So we're going to look at it from that perspective and I want to show you a few things that I think are, are really, really powerful. So Jesus had just found out this news about his cousin. Murdered, beheaded, killed, and his, his head literally given to this woman on a platter, right? He hears this news, and it says that he's kind of overcome with emotion, and the crowds are all around, so he gets on a boat, and he withdraws to a solitary place. <clears throat> now, the only way Jesus can go anywhere by himself is by kind of getting out on the water, because if you go in anywhere he was, there were just crowds gathering around him all the time. So he goes on a boat to be by himself. He goes across the lake, and when he gets there, sure enough, the crowds have followed him all the way around, and he sees them, he has compassion on, on them, and he heals their sick. All day he spends out there healing them, taking care of their needs. Because these people brought their needs with them. Please touch my son. Please look at my husband. My husband's leg doesn't work. Her, my wife can't see. Whatever. They brought everything to Jesus because they had heard these things that he was doing. So wrapped up in this miracle moment are a whole lot of other miracle moments, right? Well, it gets coming close to night and the disciples go, hey, look, Jesus, it's getting dark and we are on the wrong side of the lake. And uh, if we don't send these people home to go buy food, we're going to be responsible for them. We're going to have to feed them, and we don't have anything. And Jesus says, no, they can stay. Why don't you feed them? And they're like, we don't have anything. And all we've got are these five loaves of bread and two fish. One of the other gospel accounts says that they looked around, and they just found this little poor boy, and he had a little basket with some bread and fish in it. And uh, he said, that's all we got. And Jesus says, we'll bring those things to me. Tells everybody to sit down, which I don't know how Jesus gets 10,000 people to sit down. That's probably amazing just amongst itself. But he gets them all to sit down in the grass, right? Sit down in the grass. 10,000 people. I mean, that's like a triple miracle moment. And he sits them down and he feeds them. Disciples, he looks at heaven, blesses the food. Disciples pass it out. Everybody eats and is satisfied. And they all come back with these 12 baskets of food. And they're standing around looking at each other going, this is unbelievable. That's the miracle that we've heard. It's a miracle that we're familiar with. It's a story we've been told in Sunday school that we celebrated in VBS and all those little things we grew up in church. But there's a piece of this miracle that very seldom gets told that I really think we want to pay attention to. And it really kind of displays for me the nature and character of God. And how much he loves you, and how much he loves me, and how much God loves people. See, Jesus' priority was people. There's no real surprise there, right? I mean, Jesus made people his priority. It wasn't, it's not a big surprise that I tell you that I say Jesus put people before himself. That's no big surprise. But really think about this for a moment. Jesus had just found out that his friend and cousin had been murdered. He's fully human. Jesus is fully human and fully God. And he's overcome with emotion. He's with a bunch of people. And he just needs to get away. And so he gets on a boat and he just leaves in the middle of the, in the, middle of the lake. Most likely the Sea of Galilee, which is also the Lake of Gisinaret. It's a, just a giant body of water out there in the middle of the desert. 
and he gets out on this boat, and they sail basically to the other side of the lake just to get away from people and sit in his emotion. Because what would you feel if you found that out? What if I told you that something like that just happened to someone that you love dearly? Not that they were, you know, that somehow they ha- maybe died of natural causes, but something horrific happened to them. How do you process that set of emotions? You almost don't blame Jesus for saying, look, just get away. Take some time. Go be with your friends. There's 12 guys. And just sit on a boat. Just go be alone. Well, it says that Jesus gets to the other side of the lake, right? And that crowd who had heard that he was going, what did they do? They walked all the way around, probably a couple of hours, all the way around the lake. Because they knew the place that he was going to land on the other side. So right about the time that Jesus' kind of little sailboat is kind of pulling up, this crowd of people. I know in your mind what you're thinking is a crowd of people, but I want you to think about, can you picture 10,000 people? I mean, this is a massive amount of people. And as that boat's landing, he sees this crowd kind of piling around. And it says that he saw the crowd and he did what? He had compassion on them. We've talked in here several times about the difference in mercy and compassion, right? Mercy is not treating us as our sins deserve. It's that we deserve to spend eternity separated from God, but he loved us enough to send his son, Jesus. Mercy is, is God not giving us what we deserve, but compassion, right, is identifying with the pain of somebody else with a deep desire to relieve it. That is what compassion is, that God understands what we feel, and he has a deep desire to relieve that pain. So Jesus sees this, these folks carrying their sick, and they're broken, and they're hurting, and he has compassion on them. If there's any moment in the life of Christ that we would say, Jesus, turn the boat around, it'll be okay. Come back tomorrow, they'll all probably still be there. Every one of us would probably say, I understand. Take a moment, get yourself together, spend time with your friends, and just regroup. I mean, that's what we would want for each other, right? That's what you would want. You would need time. But he has compassion on them. And it's not like these people, they were coming to give him hugs and tell him how much they love him. It wasn't like they all wanted to say, Jesus, you're the best. We love you, man. We support you. You're awesome. They wanted stuff. They had needs. They were, give me this. Give me that. Take care of this. You think your kids have the I wants? Try 10,000 people that have hurts. Every single one of them wanted something from Jesus. They didn't want to tell him how great he was and, and love on him and tell him, hey, look, we just want to be around you. We heard what happened. No, they wanted something from him. They all wanted something for themselves. If there's any moment that you would say, Jesus, just withdraw, it's okay. But he doesn't, he has compassion on them. See, Jesus, his priority was people. And this is one of the great mysteries of this story for me. It's the part that we never really hear. We hear Jesus feeding 5,000, we're like, yay, awesome. But we never really take into account that in all of Jesus' humanity, the things that broke his heart, and in the middle of all that heartbreak, in the middle of all that hurt, he still loved you and me. He still loved people so much that he put their needs in front of his own every single time. His priority was people. You know, our priorities are ourselves. I mean, our priorities are sometimes people, but when life gets inconvenient, they go out the window and our priorities focus back on ourselves. In a moment like that, in a moment of, of absolute brokenness, our priority would absolutely be on me. Get me, I gotta get things right with me. I gotta heal me. I gotta get, I gotta get better. 
I need to take care of myself. I need to look out for me for a while. It's just how we are as a society, as culture, as people. But see, Jesus probably where people and his followers are Christ. I truly believe that part of our call as a church and as followers of Jesus is to have a priority that's people. And that's not always easy. It means loving people that are easy to love. It means loving people that are hard to love. It means loving those that you know and those that the culture has tossed aside. And as I was thinking of this text, I really started thinking about what are my priorities, really? I mean, are my priorities my children? The time I spend with them, my wife, the time I spend with her, how I treat her, what I, what I demonstrate to her about who I am. Are my priorities this church and the people in this church, my friends? I mean, then I started thinking, yeah, sure, those are all right. But then I started thinking, what if I ask them? What if I sat down and asked my wife or my kids or you all and said, what do you think my priorities are? You turn the question around, it gets a little bit different because I don't know how all those people would answer that question. What are your priorities? What does your life demonstrate about your love for people? See, I think a lot of times as Christians, we are ridiculously self-absorbed. We think that the world and the church and things revolve around me and my needs. But Jesus was a lover of people. And sometimes we have to reprioritize our lives to love people. And not just people that are easy to love, but that crazy aunt, right? You know exactly which one I'm talking about. The one that came up a little bit overserved to your wedding already. You know, I mean, loving people. Jesus did it. You know what else Jesus did? He created time and space. All right, listen to these verses. Listen to what else Jesus does. So it says that as evening approached, right? So they had been out there probably all day. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, right? We're on the wrong side of the lake. Getting late, the crowds send them away, so they go to the villages and buy themselves some food. All right, so this is the disciples' concern. We have a responsibility because these people followed us out here, and it's getting late. And if we keep these people here any longer, this massive crowd that you've been tending to all, not all day, we're going to be responsible for feeding them. And Jesus, you know that we don't have enough money. We don't have the resources, we don't have the time, we don't have the space to take care of the needs of all these people. And I love Jesus' response to the disciples, because it's really simple. He says, don't send them away, right? You feed them. And that's what Jesus says to him. Don't send them away, you feed them, which is a ridiculous response. Because you and I know that the disciples don't have enough money. They can't go to the villages and buy food for 10,000 people. I mean, think what it would take for you to buy food for 10,000 people. Right? Go to a Thunder game and go, I bought everybody a hot dog. Go broke. Yet he says, don't send them away. You feed them. I find this remarkable because I think that there's... In Jesus' life, he creates time and space for people. He could have sent them away. He could have said, look, it's getting late. Go buy yourself something to eat. We'll be here tomorrow, whatever. Sent them all away. The disciples kind of send them out that way. But Jesus creates time and space for people. Jesus was, here. two things I want you to learn about Jesus that you probably heard me say before. Jesus was never in a hurry, ever. He just kind of piddled around, walking everywhere he went. And he always stopped when everybody else thought he should keep going. Right? Even to do things like go, go visit you know, Mary and Martha when Lazarus was real sick. Jesus kind of hung around for a little while. 
Even when he crossed through Samaria and visited with the woman at the well, when he should have gone the other way, he kind of sat by this well and visited with a woman that no one else would talk to. Jesus was never, ever in a hurry. Never in a hurry. And Jesus always had time. It's the one thing he had. He always had time. Jesus, I believe he created time and space for people. He just walked around the countryside interacting with folks, stopping and touching the blind man, healing the leper, putting his hands into the places that nobody else would put their hands. Sometimes loving people well means creating time and space. I mean, think about that same question I just posed about your wife or your husband or your kids or your coworkers or your family or, or whatever. I mean, do you create time and space for people? How busy is your life? If you are too busy to spend time with people, especially people in your life, if you are in too much of a hurry to stop and ask your wife how her day was and love your children well, your priorities are all jacked up. When we follow Christ, he messes up our lives, changes our priorities around, and redirects our thinking. Part of loving people is that we create time and space when the world says there is no time and space. The disciples said, look, the disciples were right. There was no money. There was no time. There's hardly enough space to sit all these people down and feed them. I mean, who can do that? But Jesus always created time and space to do things in the life of people. And I love this because I have so many excuses for why I can't call that person back or why I haven't talked to that one friend who's left me several voice messages or why I haven't reached out to this one person. I have so many. I'm just so swamped, right? I'm so busy. Really? Too busy to love people? This is what Jesus did. Now, life has a certain set of busyness. I understand that. And you've got your family to spend time with and work, and I get all that. But sometimes loving people means I'm going to be intentionally create some time. I'm going to not do this, and I'm going to do this instead. It's what Jesus did for you. Jesus created time and space for you to know him. That's how much he loves you deeply and desperately. So Jesus had a priority for people. He created time and space. And the last thing I want you to see in this text is really more about the disciples than it is about Jesus. And it comes out of that last little part. And it says this. It says, you feed them, right? You give them something to eat. And they said, well, what are we going to feed them with? They got five loaves of bread. And uh, I think Mark is the one that records it. It's barley bread, which is like poor person's bread. It's like awful. It was the stuff that was made from uh, barley, which is what they usually fed to the animals. So we got this little boy, when Mark records, with these barley loaves of bread, right, and these dried fish. And they go, this is what we've got, right? And he says, good, bring it here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. So 10,000 people taking a seat or 7,500 people taking a seat. Takes the five loaves and two fish, and he look up to heaven, and he gives thanks. Fun of everybody. He says, God, Father, thank you for this food, right? Gives the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. They walked around amongst this crowd with these bread, baskets with bread and fish, and they walked around, and they walked around, and they walked around, and people ate until they were satisfied. And then when they came back, each disciple, 12 baskets, I believe that, you know, it doesn't say this, but I believe that each one of those disciples was probably holding the basket. They're looking at each other going, what just happened? I got a basket, you got a basket, we all got baskets, and they're all full. We got stuff left over, and everybody's eaten. I mean, this, I mean, I can only imagine the moment 
because this is not something that was just like, oh, that was kind of cool. I mean, this was probably like, can you believe what just happened? I mean, this moment is amazing. I bet Jesus was smiling. These guys were going, I can't believe we just fed all those people with these fish. I mean, they, this is a story they were going to tell and retell and retell and retell over and over and over again. Do you know that this story is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels? The only one. Out of all the miracles Jesus did, it's the only one that all four of the Gospels write about. This was a huge moment. And these guys, I guarantee you, were enjoying every second of it. And they're talking about it all the time. In fact, it was such a part of their lives that they all wrote about it. This was a massive moment, and I believe the disciples enjoyed it. And I could only imagine, and I know I'm reading in the text a little bit because it doesn't say this, but I can only imagine the looks on their faces as they stood around and the look on Jesus' face as he just said, like, you know, I told you. And what I really see here and what jumps out to me is that I just believe we're called to enjoy moments that God has given us. We're such a results-driven culture. We're such a, a kind of a completion-driven people. that We're usually not satisfied till the event or the thing or whatever is over. When it's over, then we take a breath, right? I mean, think about the events in your life right, wedding days or things like that. I mean, we're so about getting to the completion of the event that we forget the amazing moment that we're standing in. Jesus was about the amazing moments that we were standing in. This is not a miracle about the completion of feeding 5,000 people. I truly believe this miracle is about what led up to it and what took place and the disciples staring at each other going, oh my goodness. You know, the people didn't know, they're just eating food that gets passed out. But that moment is something that changed their lives. See, this miracle moment, this priority of people is creating a time and space, enjoying the moments that God sets before us. This life that we live is a blink. It is a snap. Scripture talks about it all the time. It says you are just but, you know, a little flower in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. We spend so much of our time trying to get to whatever the end is, whatever the completion is, that we're not living in the moment that God has given us, loving people around us well. You will never have another day to love your kids like you do today. You'll never have another day to call your mom and tell her how much you appreciate her or your dad on this day. You know, I'd say these kind of things a lot, but I would give anything in the world to be able to pick up the phone and call my dad again and just say, Dad, I turned 30 or something yesterday. And uh, I'm so grateful that you loved me. I'm grateful that you taught me how to mow the yard. You know, I'm grateful that you taught me how to use a Phillips screwdriver. I'm thankful for all those moments. Even the moments that you told me to build character and I didn't want any character. <laughs> I'm just grateful. I would give anything to be able to do that. What are the moments we're living in? See, this miracle to me is a picture about how much Jesus loves you. How much he loves me. That in the middle of a time where we would say, God, be selfish. God chose you. He chose to spend time with people. He made them a priority and he took care of their needs and had compassion on them. That in the middle of your hurt and struggle and pain, God loves you deeply and desperately. He loves you enough to sacrifice his own son so that you might have new, real life. That was his priority. It was you. The redemption of mankind. He loved you that much that he gave his son. He created time and space for you to know him. 
He carves out these moments on Sunday morning for us to celebrate together. He creates time and space for you to spend with him. We're called to live in those moments and smile in those moments and enjoy those moments even when it's not that easy to enjoy because God is always doing something. This morning, my challenge for you is simply this. As our worship team comes back up to kind of close us out in worship this morning, invite them to come on back up. My challenge for you is simply this. Live in this moment. Realize what God did for you. Right? Make people your priority and celebrate the God that has given you life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing.